everybody, and welcome to the China Tech Investor Podcast, powered by Technode. I am your host, Elliot Zagman, and with me is my co-host all the way from North Carolina. He's listening to the earnings call, so you don't have to, James Hull. <laughs> I mean, I, I would recommend also listening to the earnings calls. I'm not covering, we're not covering everything that's discussed. Um, yeah, I'm briefly in North Carolina for Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, how's everything going? All right, and as, as he, I'm I'm good. I'm good. As he was referring to, uh, nothing said on this podcast should be construed as investment advice or a solicitation of services. Even our numbers may be incorrect or off, especially if I'm the one that's saying them. Investing is Me risky. Too. Speak with your financial advisor and do your own research before making investment decisions. Okay, um, so we got a lot going on today. We have Xue uh, Yujie from Sixtone going to join us to talk about Pinduoduo as we add them to our watch list. We're going to talk about earnings calls from Xiaomi and JD. But first, uh, it is the season for some earnings. Um, we had a whole <laughs> series of China tech companies uh, sharing or, or reporting their 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 Q3 earnings. Um, some good, some bad, some ugly. Uh, we're gonna go through a few of these, even though they're not on the watch list. There's a couple a couple that that stood out. The first, uh, James, do you want to start off with, with the good or the bad? Uh, let's start off with the bad and end on a good note. Okay, so the not so good is actually a company that I'm I'm still pretty pretty bullish on for the long term, and that is Meituan Damping. So right. they their shares fell over ten percent uh, after their they reported a, a net that their net loss was widening uh, in their first earnings after their IPO. Um, Meituan's been bleeding money. That's been the big question mark around them. Um, and now they're continuing to bleed money and bleeding more money. So, James, should investors be worried? Um, I mean, if it's not on our watch list, I haven't looked at it very closely. Uh, but looking at the chart, I mean, it is kind of hanging around this $50 level, which it kind of bounced off before. Uh, towards the end of October. So maybe, you know, maybe it, it hits this and goes back up or um, maybe not. I think what's what, what was clear is that Meituan is uh, taking some market share from C-Trip um, in their uh, bookings for hotels. So um, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I love Meituan over the long term. They may be, they are a, a watch list candidate. Uh, we may or may not be adding them soon. Um, but I, one of the things that I, I really like about them is I think that they're, they're, they've always been quite aggressive in, uh, you know, trying to, to offer new and unique services to their users. They've, they've really built, they're one of the first uh, companies to really, uh, start off as a as a Silicon Valley clone and 
completely evolve into into something new and different while the the clone that they copied themselves off of uh kind of went away so groupon is kind of how they started off as as a copy of and they've really turned off, turned into this super app that's you know travel booking and and food delivery and mobility um but i i'm a big fan of theirs i'm a big fan of their their ceo and founder wang sing and uh so hopefully uh in the next earnings call they uh, they'll they'll rebound, but while their their stock is this low, it, it may be a good time to buy for some people. So uh, that's that was what was happening. That was not so good. One that was a little bit better is Billy Billy, the kind of gener- Generation Z oriented uh, tech company that does gaming. It does a lot of uh, content. That's that's known for their their anime uh, content that they have. Uh, their stock rallied after they posted a third quarter earnings uh, where their their revenue rose 48 percent. They clear their estimates by nine million dollars. So, James, how do you feel about Billy Billy? Uh, I don't really have a view on it, actually, but um, I think if you like, you know, if you like the video streaming kind of concept. And I think they also have a gaming um, aspect where you can spectate, watch people play games. Um, I think this is, uh, also aren't, isn't, are they, do they have a relationship with Tencent? Or is that uh, Huya? Yeah, they're Tencent invested, yeah. Okay, so Tencent is, as, as well as Huya. Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't have a view, I mean, um, it does like looking at the chart, it does look like it's been in a little bit of an uptrend, um, you know, in the last, uh, three months or so. Um, so I think if, you know, if you, if you do like any of these, you want to, I think you want to kind of nibble a- into these over time, um, into these companies. I wouldn't, uh, go jump into a huge position all at once. Yeah. Yeah, I, what I've one thing that I've noticed with them is after going public, I mean they they did surge at a time you know over the you know earlier on the summer, late late spring, a lot of these companies surged. Uh, there was a lot of f- kind of froth around them, um, but as all these other companies have really had a hard time in September and October. Billy, 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 Billy has been quite resilient, um, and that that has made me um, continue to keep an eye on them. And also, for example, we in our in our, our China we have a China tech stocks group chat on WeChat where we have a lot of uh, you know journalists and you know young people, uh, you know financial analysts, tech employees, and you know we we asked them about Billy Billy, and there was a lot of Billy Billy fans in in that group chat. These people who are you know either Gen Z or Gen Y. Um, and who just really like uh, some of the things that that the company has done to to build user engagement. Um, I don't know. It, it, uh, I didn't know. I don't use Billy Billy, but it seems as though uh, among the the more educated, the more kind of artistically minded uh, users in China, the younger people, uh, they they're they're doing quite well. Those are the two big ones that you know really had a lot of movement after their. They're they're reporting, um, but another thing that I've been noticing is there are two two others that I've noticed that have done uh, not so great and and better is one is is um uh is 
Neo, the EV company, has been just up and down and up and down. Uh, a few weeks ago, they got, I think it was September? It was after their IPO. They had another, they got another investment and that kind of shot them up and then they went back down. Now they're back up again. Um, but one thing I did notice with them when I was in... Uh, when I was in Beijing just recently is how many more of the neos you see driving around. Oh, yeah uh, Have you noticed this? Yes, and they're all they're all the same color All the ones I've seen <laughs> Yeah, they're like a light blue like a like a silvery exactly. blue Yep Yeah, but I mean the the first time that I I think it was the first day that I was there when I got back I I was riding around in a taxi in the Wangjing neighborhood and I saw it and I was like, oh my goodness, it's a Neo, it's a Neo. And I was taking photos. And then I, I shared it on WeChat and people were like, yeah, I saw one the other day. Yeah, they're, they're all over. And then I noticed, you know, I probably saw about at least one or two a day for my whole time that I was in Beijing. So that is a good sign that they are, they're getting their cars out on the road, um, you know, after their IPO. And, you know, they seem to be making progress in that area. Um, uh, another one that I've been keeping track of that is is not doing that well is Chu uh, Tiao. So it is that that content sharing platform that runs a little bit like a, like a pyramid scheme. Like you got to invite new people onto the platform. I don't know all the details about it, uh, but they have they when they IPO'd they had to cut their funding target quite a bit. They spiked right after their IPO as these companies often do um you know because i think that that they're a lot of these the the people buying or the the investors buying the the stock are are kind of uh, uh juicing it right they're trading it back between each other um but it went back down like they do and it's just kind of been slowly steadily sinking ever since so um it is on the verge of being worth less than a billion dollars at this point so that does not look good but um i'm gonna keep gonna keep an eye on them obviously we don't dig it into too many of them in in too much detail but they are some some cool ones to pay attention to um and the small caps i think are a little more fun because uh, you get a lot more a lot more fluctuation if you if you buy into a, a, a small cap that you know has a lot of potential that, that that's where you can get a lot of that growth um, but you can also lose a lot more um, but moving on yeah. to those that we do pay more attention to uh, so two companies on our watch list that's Xiaomi and and JD uh, they also went in, in different directions so do we want to go with the negative or the positive on this one James negative first again um yeah we can do that okay so uh the not so good news comes from a company that has had a lot of not so good news lately and that is jd yeah. so so uh james I'm, I'm gonna hand this over to you so what do we see out yeah, of yeah. jd so basically um they announced earnings last monday uh same with xiaomi um, and their revenue was up 25%, uh, but I think the market was expecting to, it to be up around 30%. So that was a little bit of a disappointment. They also guided lower for Q4, um, saying that they're, I mean, below market expectations, saying that they're expecting 18 to 25%. So that's lower on a sequential basis and below what the market was expecting. Um, and so on their call, they basically talked about um, a lot about this, this concept of retail as a service, um, 
where basically uh, they are taking you know the retail infrastructure that they built over the years, um, and that includes like JD Mall and JD Logistics, um, and they're offering that to third-party merchants um, so they can sell on their platform, and then they're charging them service fees, which have better margins than selling pro- a better gross margin certainly um, than selling products. Um, so basically they believe that uh, retail will become more fragmented and decentralized. Um, and so they're, uh, you know, they're talking about JD Logistics and they're investing a lot of money in JD Logistics and uh, that's showing up in, as CapEx in their cash flow statement. And that's reducing their free cash flow significantly. I think free cash flow was negative 80 or 8.2 billion RMB uh, in Q3. Um, and so that's, you know, that's putting a strain at the same time as there's sort of a, a little bit of a consumption, you know, slowdown. Although they did say that they're, you know, you know, obviously they try to highlight everything positive, but on the call they mentioned uh, that general merchandise category has reached 50% of their, um, I guess, total GMV, which they, they have been trying to do for a while, and they've reached that milestone. Uh, another milestone they well, hit was... What does that was, mean if, if, if that's... If, if, they're, if they're... So if general merchandise reaches 50% of GMV... What does that mean, and why are they trying to hit that number? Um, I think it's part of part of it's that they're moving away from electronics uh, and less reliant on, you know, the consumer consumer electronic category. Um, so I think that they're kind of excited about, that. and just means like people are buying more general merchandise on their platform and uh, not just going there for you know their. Um, TVs, phones, home appliances, uh, but I think all they did say that their uh, smartphones and home appliances were also up. Um, so, so there's that. I'm, they, it seemed like they didn't, they weren't seeing too much of a consumption slowdown uh, on their call. So another milestone they hit was um, the the service revenue. So this is their three P. Third-party merchant, um, their service revenue hit 10% of their total revenue, which is uh, something they've been wanting to do for a while, and uh, they call it an important milestone. Um, okay. Well, I think one of well, another one of the, milestone that they have hit is it's yeah. not a very good milestone, and yeah. that is that you know, when IPO. we talk about their their. Yeah, exactly. They after their earnings, they dipped below their IPO price for the first time since they went public in May of 2014. So they, they look at the wild, crazy ride that JD has been on. So they they IPO'd in 2014 yeah. at $20.10 a share, right? And then they were they were up and down a little bit, but they never traded below their IPO price. Uh, at the end, at the be- in January of 2018, they peaked at fifty dollars and fifty cents a share, and have gone down uh, almost consistently ever since, to the point that they're now trading at nineteen dollars. Or end of at at the end of business on November 23. Um, we're recording this on Monday the 26th, but at the end of the day, Friday, they were trading at nineteen dollars 
and 27 cents per share. They have lost over 60% of their value. Um, and part of that is that, you know, they're, they're not hitting their, their, their guidance, but also, but making most of the headlines has been, of course, chairman, founder, CEO, uh, Liu Changdong or Richard Liu, who, of course, ha has made the headlines for uh, the sexual assault, the rape allegations uh, in the United States. And they announced uh, on November 20th that the CEO would that Richard would shift away from the core business after uh, his U.S. arrest. Um, so that also sent shares going down. So what what, what do you think this means, uh, James? How should uh, should investors feel good about this? That he is, um, you know. <clears throat> I mean, I, I'm not. Uh, I, I to be honest, it's a hard thing to answer. Um, he did say, you know, on the call, he actually spoke on the call, uh, which I was sort of surprised by, but he. He said that um, he's going to is going to focus less on on the mature business, and that you know they've hired and they have in place a strong leadership team who can handle that. Um, and basically, I guess they can handle almost everything. But he's going to focus more on uh, the the new business, on the strategy and the culture. Um, and there was one more. Um, uh, and the team, so building the team and, and managing the team. Um, and so those four things, strategy, culture, team, and new business. Uh, and he thinks, you know, he did say that he thinks uh, JD is on to the right R&D projects. You know, if you're, if you're investing a lot in R&D, you might be investing in projects, experiments, and things that don't always work out. Um, he thinks that they're on to the, the right projects and... Um, that means that next year, their R&D expense probably won't increase um, much more, might actually stay stable, um, which in, for cash you know, use, if you're looking at their free cash flow and worried about their cash position, that's a positive. Um, another positive on that front is they're talking about transferring some of their logistics the jd logistics assets into a core fund and they expect that to be done sometime in the first half of next year and so that will presumably uh, i'm not privy to the details obviously um, but presumably that would be that would mean that some investors put money in a fund and they sell some of their assets to the fund so they get cash back for their assets. Um, uh, so that'll you know add cash to their balance sheet. I'm guessing that they'll reinvest it into more JD Logistics assets. Um, but they did, they did say that they don't expect to, they expect most of the JD Logistics investments will be finished this year and then will kind of stabilize at a lower level next year. Um, and that's partially because, you know, what they're doing is they're getting their merchants, their third-party merchants, to store their products in their warehouses. And all the third-party merchants, if you're, if you're making something, you have... A warehouse already that you use, or maybe your manufacturer stores it for you. Um, but you already have one used somewhere, so you'd have to move your stuff to their warehouse. Um, and I, my guess is, once your stuff is moved to their warehouse, 
um, you're not going to move it out. Uh, you know, you're at least uh, that portion of your, your goods that are being sold uh, through JD. So, you know, this, I, I do think JD, I'm very bullish on this logistics idea, although it is capital intensive. Um, I do think it's a, it's a moat in the sense that, uh, you know, these merchants are going to be kind of locked in, kind of captive in some way. I think they could make JD Logistics even better if they said, okay, you can use JD Logistics and you don't have to use JD Mall. You don't have to sell your products on our platform. We'll just, this is just a logistics business and we'll do it for anybody. That would be like, uh, you know, taking the limitation of just, you know, their own things that are sold on their own platform and move it out and let anyone use it. I mean, that, that could... That could make it big, very, very big. But without, if they're just a logistics company, are they worth the amount that investors think they're worth? You know, that's or investors have thought that they're worth. You know, they're that. That's that's the question. Is that I think a lot of the people. I think I think a lot of the a lot of those who bought their their stock, they bought it because they were thinking, okay, Chinese Amazon, and that's not what they've been, and it doesn't look like that's what they're going to be. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't. I don't doubt they'll open up. Um, they're legit. That would take a significant leap of faith uh, in some ways. Um, but if if they wanted to, you know, there's this concept in in uh, you know thinking about business, and the the question you ask yourself is, um, how do I compete? How do I compete with myself? You know, what would I have to do to, you know, completely outcompete myself? And like. That if they ask themselves that question, I think taking JD Logistics, maybe carving it out of J, JD and listing it as a separate company, and obviously retaining ownership, uh, some ownership of it. Um, you know, I mean, the margins will be different than e-commerce. I mean, everything will be different about that business. It, there is an argument if they do make it big, uh, you know, that they would carve it out. But anyway, that's probably years down the road. Mm. Wait, they they have did did they spin off JD Logistics to be its own? They spun off uh, JD Finance. JD Finance is is spun off. They're talking about spinning off some of the assets, which is sort of a first step in a in a bigger spin off kind of kind of way. Um, so okay, uh, yeah, so JD they're, Finance they're kind of- has been spun off. Um, yeah. They're, so they're in. They're kind. Of, you could tell that over the their long term strategy, they would like. They probably are, are would like the option of spinning off JD Logistics, and they're kind of in the process. Yeah, of I mean, making if, that able to happen. Yeah, I mean, it is capital intensive, and usually with capital intensive things, you need more cap capital. And if they're raising money, you know, at the stock market, especially at these stock prices, they're going to de- you know um, dilute current shareholders, including uh, Richard Leo, right? And and everyone mm-hmm. else. Um, you know, so it's kind of better to separate part of your assets and raise money. Then anyway, this is your, this is my, you know, deal making background kind of talking. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to the, to a, a more positive story. And uh, that's Xiaomi. So Xiaomi, uh, their shares were up after 
they swung into net profit and robust sales in in international markets so india in europe and they're continuing continuing to expand into international markets and they're showing some signs that they're having some success at selling their higher end higher margin phones so uh not half bad for xiaomi huh no pretty good um, yeah, revenue up 49%, uh, gross profit was up 26%, gross margin though was um, down a little bit uh, compared to the year ago quarter uh, to 12.9% from 15.2%. Um, but yeah, they, yeah, they had a, some profit, a little bit of, uh, let's see, it was, this is in expressed in RMB, so it's not in thousands. Um, oh, no, it is in thousands. So $2.7 billion uh, profit attributable to the company. Quite nice. Compared what, to a, a year thing, ago, it was negative 8.2. Yeah, well, I mean, I think they were, they were, they were, a lot of those, they were spending so hard to get into a lot of these overseas markets, and now I think that they're, they're just trying to expand at this point in a lot of them, um, particularly India. Um, but I, I do think one of that one of those numbers that that stands out to me as being not particularly positive or that it once it starts improving, I think that I'm going to be much more bullish on the company. And that's the Internet services uh, revenue. So it, it hasn't really increased as a share of revenue right it's at what what's the number is that nine percent roughly 9.3 it's up it's up about half a percent from second quarter of uh, this year so it's yeah it's it's slowly you know inching up um their smartphones inched up a little bit as well and then their iot and lifestyle products segment kind of went down a bit um, yeah, because I mean, that, that's that's the big uh, question in evaluating that, Xiaomi's Xiaomi's value as a company is: are they a hardware company? Yeah. In which case, their their ceiling is very it's limited, right? Because you know that they're, they're really not that different than a Vivo or, or an Oppo in that case. But as Lei Jun says, they're an internet company. If they're an internet company and they can make their money from those internet services, that's where those margins are. Um, and if that percentage goes up, one is they're, pro- they're going to be more profitable that way, but also it's showing that they're keeping people within their ecosystem and that these these users that they're essentially acquiring by selling these phones at cost, basically, um, they're able to kind of they're able to to actually leverage those users into into higher margin sales. Yeah, it, it's kind of a it's a funny thing. It's like a chicken and an egg sort of thing where, you know, you want to get you want to become an internet service company, but you can't be an internet service company without users. And Xiaomi can't have users without them users actually owning their products. So they have to be a product company sort of first get the products in the user's hands, get the users to buy the products. Um, and that includes like the Xiaomi TV, the phone. Um, I think those are the main two internet service ones. Uh, you know, I don't think the other 
I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think the other IoT lifestyle products have much service revenue. Um, but maybe the Mi Home will have, like, you can pay to have Xiaomi manage your home or something. Anyway, um, but it's a it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg. And so, like, sometimes when I look at Xiaomi, I think it's kind of like a uh, uh, this might be the wrong word, but like a post kind of smartphone world strategy. Uh, what, what, what do I mean by that? Basically, like, you know, um, that they're trying to, you know, they're basically giving these phones away or selling them at lower prices. They talk about how efficiency is really important. They have a, they have a low OPEX margin, uh, and they spread the savings to their users. Um and so these savings would otherwise be like a, a profit, right? Um, but kind of the issue is that if they had more profit, they could have more cash to reinvest in their services uh, and maybe make them better and, um, you know, improve them. But at the same time, because they're going after a different market than, I guess, other uh, more expensive phones go after, they're going after Indonesia, India, and Western Europe. Um, you know, maybe they'll have a different user profile that they're building for, and they'll have, a, they'll create a, a different type of user experience that is more, um, you know, kind of matches that user profile that they're going after. So, you know, They'll be able with these with a larger user base. They'll have uh, they'll be able to try things and learn from this user base, learn what they like, and kind of build to to their um, uh, their what, whatever desires. Mm. So yeah, yeah, it's it's you know whereas like you know if if we think this post smartphone um, world where people don't need to buy smartphones or there aren't really new smartphone buyers. Everyone's upgrading uh, and maybe upgrade cycles move from maybe one year to two years to three to four years. Um, you know, then phones will be competing on the service, like the user, the UI, the user experience, how their, their phone operating system links in with their other products and their life and all that. Um, you know, and in, yeah, well, in that world, I feel like a lot of these smartphone manufacturers, they'll all lower their prices um, and they'll all try to compete on, on, on that level. Yeah, I, I really like what Xiaomi is trying to do. The question is whether or not they can yeah. do what they're trying to do. But that, that's that's a thing. That's that's how I feel about a lot of these Chinese companies is that, you know, the where a lot of these Chinese Internet companies are, are there. They do a really good job with business model innovation. They're not always so great when it comes to implementation. So right. and Xiaomi Xiaomi is kind of number one when it comes to that. Right. So they've they have a, a really cool, I think, strategy. Uh, and I think it's needed. I think to have a. A, a true brand um, in the middle tier with an ecosystem, I think is, is needed. I, I, I get frustrated when I see a Apple's products going up and up and up and up in price, even though you know that they're not costing that much more to make. Um, and I think that to, oh, yeah, yeah. to have 
a I think that that to have a a, a smartphone company that is looking at those of us who either don't want to spend the money on an iPhone or can't spend the money on an iPhone um, and saying, you know, there's an ecosystem for you too. I think that there's, there's tons of room for that. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's needed. I think it's desired. Um, the question is just whether or not they can build it. But moving on, we have a third company yep. on our watch list that we'll be discussing because we're adding it today. And that is Pinduoduo. <laughs> um, so... I would love to explain it to you, but I don't think I can quite as well as our guest, which is Xue Yujie, uh, and she is going to be joining us right now. So let's go to our interview with Xue Yujie. So this week we are adding a special addition to our watch list, and that is Pinduoduo. So Pinduoduo is an e-commerce company that I have not used before, that many of my Chinese friends actually have not used before. And so unlike um, a company like Alibaba or Tencent that a lot of foreigners might be familiar with or even use, Pinduoduo is kind of a, is a little bit of a mystery to many people. They're a younger company. They just recently IPO'd, um, but they're really interesting. And I, I think that their business model is quite fascinating. So to talk to us about this is Shui Yujie. Shui Yujie is a business and technology features reporter at Sixth Tone, a Shanghai-based English language online publication that covers contemporary China. So Yujie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So for those of us who might not know a whole lot about what Pinduoduo is as a business, how would you explain that in a nutshell? What do they do? In a nutshell, I would say that Pinduoduo is a social e-commerce platform that combines low price with group discounts. As its CEO Colin Huang said, and Pinduoduo is a combination of Costco and Disneyland. By Costco, it means the low prices of daily commodities that you can get on the platform. And by Disneyland, it means the concept of gamification that Pinduoduo introduces to its users shopping experience it makes shopping exciting and entertaining hmm. so it, it sounds a little bit like Groupon um, w is that a fair comparison um, yes um, group buying is not all the things that Pinduoduo does as I said earlier that Pinduoduo so, is a combination uh, so they, they of Costco shopping. and Disneyland that's not all they but do, we can right? also say that it is also a combination of Groupon and Facebook because um, Pinduoduo adds more social features on its platform comparing to Groupon. For example, it relies largely on WeChat, um, a social messaging app that owned by Tencent. Tencent is also Pinduoduo's key investor. So Pinduoduo has a mini app on WeChat. People can shop within WeChat and without having to download Pinduoduo's own app, and they can share the group deals to their contacts on WeChat and start a live chat with their peer buyers and sellers. So these are all the social features that differentiated Pinduoduo from Groupon. Hmm. Okay. So you can, so like when you open up uh, the Pinduoduo app, like what's kind of the user experience like? What, you know, how, 
how is it different from, say, like、uh, Jindong or Taobao?、Mm, shopping on Pinduoduo is definitely very addictive, I believe, for most of its users, and personally, a little bit intense and overwhelming for me because the second you open the app, there will be、um, countless countdown clocks.、Um, On your phone, for example, if I open the app at eight forty p.m., there will be a huge countdown clock showing you how much time has left before you can join the cells that opened at eight p.m. So there will be twenty minutes left for you, and there will be another countdown clock in the next page and showing you what deals are going to open in the next hour. And a preview of the deals that is going to open the next day. So of course you don't want to miss out all these bargains. And what made Pinduoduo different from Taobao and JD is that Taobao and JD are more like a an search engine for online shopping because. And、uh, normally you just type into the product you're looking for and find, and the, and and they will list all these items for you. But Pinduoduo is more like a newsfeed; it pushes products to you. So there will be um so many pop up notifications on the app while you're browsing through Pinduoduo's page. It shows who is looking at the same item you're looking for, and. Mm, who else in other cities just bought what other items? So sometimes you just ended up buying a lot of different things that you didn't plan to buy, eventually. And、um, another thing I noticed is、um, on the price column there will be two prices. And、one is for individual buying, and the other for group buying. And of course, the group buying item is way cheaper than the individual buying price. But it always requires、um, like one day to form this shopping group, so you need to wait. And what is also interesting to point out is that there is no shopping cart on Pinduoduo, so. You just don't have this option to put this item you've been thinking about into the shopping cart and wait to decide whether to buy or not. On Pinduoduo, you either just buy、wow. now or never. And so, if if you like a typical like if I find something I want to buy, let's say it's a I don't know a toy or something for a, maybe a dog because、uh, I have a dog. Um, how many people would have to like team up with me or join a squad to buy the product, or is it is it always different, or is it is it? I I actually haven't looked into to see、um, how many people need to gather to enjoy the group deals, but it seems that there is no lower or upper limit of how many people you need to gather to form this. Shopping group, and there's no requirement of the sizes of the shopping group.、Um, there will be a countdown clock showing you before how long you can join this deal.、Um, so I guess it's more like the more people you invite to join the group, the lower the price it gets. Okay. So if I find, so let's say, can、okay. we keep going with this for a second? If I find a dog toy. Uh, and I like it. Then I can then let's say no one wants to buy it except me. I can then take that product and share it on my social network. Is that 
Yeah, like、right. WeChat or QQ, you can share it to、uh, your friends, your contacts, and they can help you to join the shopping squad. And you can also ask people to help,、uh, just to click in、uh, this specific、uh, button to like cut the price、oh. down. So I, I know with, with Groupon, for example. So if we're using this comparison with Groupon,、um, Groupon's not doing that great right now. <laughs>、mm-hmm. um, but Pinduoduo has been quite successful. They've had,、um, you know, they 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 kind of, they really just you know surged in popularity in just recent years.、Um, and they they IPO'd earlier this year, and we're, 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 you know it, I believe that they're、uh, valued at higher than even even JD at the moment. So, what were the factors that allowed Pinduoduo to become so successful so quickly?、Um, the first I would say is the team purchase model within the social media platform. Because、uh, for Taobao, for example, it's got 500 million monthly active users, but、uh, for WeChat, it's got 1 billion users. So, just do a quick math here. Like that's missing 500 million users are mostly people from the lower tier cities who. Um, um, like a majority of them are female or senior users, and who depend WeChat as their like main source of information. So,、um, you know, Tencent is also a major investor of Pinduoduo, and Pinduoduo's got its、um, own mini app within WeChat. So you don't have to download Pinduoduo's app; you can just shop within WeChat and use WeChat's wallet to pay for the products you get on Pinduoduo. So、um, this huge. Amount of traffic is、uh, one of the major factors why Pinduoduo is successful.、Um. And the second would be the team purchase model that、uh, you can use WeChat's platform to invite more people to join this shopping squad with you. But the thing,、uh, just think about Taobao is sometimes will. And、uh, need to spend a lot of money on advertising and marketing of its products. So by sharing your product info through social media apps, it's actually save that much money and also help Pinduoduo to reach more、uh, users who's got a similar shopping preference as you. Which I guess is your social network. <laughs> So they, they've they've leveraged the WeChat app、um, very very、mm-hmm. well. I think that 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 seems to be the the key to their success is by taking、mm-hmm. the social aspect of WeChat and also the the mini programs that WeChat have.、Um, and for the the people who you mentioned,、uh, maybe from lower tier cities,、uh, maybe they're older. They're not this、uh, you know the the urban young. Educated、uh, demographic that many of these apps are going after. They're going for people that are a little bit on the margins, but who still, you know, especially when it comes to you know necessities like you know toilet paper, laundry detergent, they still need to to shop. Yes.、Um, so and then and they want to get good deals. So by having this the social mechanism of、uh, of WeChat, they're able to get their friends on board and say, okay, you know, we get twenty five percent off laundry detergent, right? So so they get all, all of you know. The 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 sixty year old lady in the countryside can get all of her neighborhood friends、uh, to buy it with her, and they all、yes. get a deal.、Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So so that's the Costco part of it that you mentioned.、Um, like, mm-hmm. So I see that that they can leverage the, the leverage the social side of it to do kind of these bulk these bulk purchases that allow、um, you know these margins to to be smaller and、uh, for these these shoppers to save money, but. 
Uh, where does the Disneyland come in? So you said it's a mention of uh, a combination of, of Costco and Disneyland. H- how is it Disneyland? I think the Disneyland that Kuala Huang is actually this combination of like so-called Costco and Disneyland with what um, Pinduo CEO Colin Huang said in an interview. Like by Disneyland, I think mm-hmm. is the gamification of the um, group buying feature. So uh, on Pinduo's app, it's kind of overwhelming and addictive that once you land on the app, you can see there are like countless of pop-up bubbles of who in where is buying what and what what is having this huge discount and their countless like flash sale uh, information and like you kind of utilize people's psychology of their fears of missing out so that the, oh, the, 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 the yeah. kind of yeah excitement is what it called by um gamification investors are familiar with the fomo uh psychology i think that's it's kind of, uh, when, I, when I was reading a little bit about Pinduoduo, I thought this was sort of genius um, play on psychology, you know, trying to show people, oh, there's this, everyone's buying this. So you already have, like, if I, you don't, you don't have less, you have less buyer's remorse if everyone else is buying the same thing. So you kind of feel more confident buying it. You want to buy it more. Um, and then kind yes. of maybe there's a time limit. Are there time limits on the deals? So you... Yeah. Yeah, the deals all, <laughs> always only last for a couple wow. of hours. <laughs> interesting, interesting. So, what one of the things that that I'm interested in when it comes to this? So, we 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 get that it's it's a fun um, and you know useful and practical tool, uh, particularly for kind of the 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 everyman in China, right? The the people who you know are not going to be the upper middle class, but just you know your normal you know working folks. Um, so, but we we get that 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 model might be effective. But what what I'm concerned about is the moat around the company. So we see that they are very much dependent on WeChat for one thing. But also um, Alibaba has you know they they do e-commerce so well. They have a large user base. What stops Alibaba from doing something just like what Pinduoduo is doing, but doing it better? Um, wait, your question is about like what makes um, Pinduoduo successful that Alibaba cannot? Yeah, that's good. You could phrase it that way. Yeah, so what, what prevents Al- Al- Alibaba from just copying them and, you know, eating their lunch? Um, I think, um, like, like, what I guess is that... Um, Alibaba is like in, in the actually in the early years of Alibaba, it actually has also been through what Pinduoduo has been through because like uh, nowadays you say Pinduoduo has been criticized a lot uh, for its brandless and counterfeit products with low quality. But just looking back, like in the early years of Taobao, it also has been criticized a lot uh, by its like Shanghai products, which mean counterfeit or um, imitation products. But uh, as Alibaba grows bigger and bigger, it start to like switch up to emphasize more um, brands and high quality products. And so um, the current emphasis of Alibaba, I think is mostly China's middle class consumers. And that's why and how like Pinduoduo kind of um, like switched in and spotting the right profile that has always been overlooked 
by most of China's e-commerce giants. So what what is the user profile、mm. of a typical Pinduoduo user? Um, uh, from um Pinduoduo's own reports, like over seventy percent of its users are female, and over sixty five percent of users are people from the third and fourth lower entire、um, cities. So and, and these people are the people in China who、so、are mostly responsible for these household purchases.、Mm. So I guess that the when I think of this user in my mind, I'm I, when I think of the Taobao user or the Jingdong user, I think of a I think of you, Yujie, right? So so somebody who is a, you're you're, probably, you're in your twenties、uh, somewhere somewhere around there. I don't want to want to assume, but you're you're fairly young. You're educated. Right, you live in you live in a big city, right?、Uh, maybe you have a little bit more disposable income.、Uh, for somebody, you know, for the Pinduoduo user, it's somebody who maybe they're you know they're they're they live in in a smaller town. Maybe it's、uh, it's somebody's grandmother. Maybe it's、uh, you know it's a mom with a couple of kids that's、uh, you know that's not working.、Um, you know something like that where. Uh, you know, it is what I guess in America.、Um, you know, it's、uh, Trump country, right? It's flyover country. It is,、um, you know, it's the 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 part of the country that doesn't get、um, get the kind of attention that the big cities do,、um, but are still a, a valuable part of their their consumer. Uh, base, but also in China, these are also the demographics that are just getting a mobile,、uh, a smartphone for the first time, or just starting to to use e-commerce for the first time. So I think that that is is where I am kind of、uh, where I see that that Pinduoduo has a lot of potential because they're getting these, they're they're addressing where where the growth is in China. You know, for I I I think、uh, you know for the Shuiyujiaz of the world,、um, they're. They're already online, and you, you've probably already established your spending habits when it comes to you know how you use e-commerce. But for a lot of these people that are just getting smartphones for the first time or just starting to shop online for the first time, they haven't really established those habits yet. So Pinduoduo is saying, you know,、uh, establish those habits、uh, with us. So James, do you have any further questions?、Um, I guess I mean when I was looking at Pinduoduo, I kind of. Uh, I saw that their, you know, their last quarter they had、uh, 385 million annual buyers in the the last, you know, 12 months annual period.、Um, and compared to JD, that's actually much higher. JD was only 305 million.、Um, also, what was kind of interesting、uh, was JD mentioned on their earnings call that they're in discussions with Tencent about potentially entering social e-commerce. Um, which is kind of just an interesting position for Tencent to be in, you know, negotiating. On the one hand, they have an investment in JD, and on the other hand, they have an investment in Pinduoduo,、uh, and they're basically get to decide the fate of both companies, <laughs> you know, in the social e-commerce realm.、Um, but it's yeah, I think you know when I look at Pinduoduo,、um, you know. I, I I'm very curious how strong their moat is. You know, they've they kind of have. If I'm picking up what we're talking about here, they've uh, uh, gotten to these、um, this user group that's kind of been overlooked by e-commerce. They've gotten to them first, and you know, I wonder if that's going to lead to more loyalty from that user base,、um, and you know, as or if they'll. 
they'll be willing to switch to, you know, if JD eventually does social e-commerce, you know, would they switch? Um, or will it be kind of like you open up one app, you scroll through the feed, see what's there, and then you open up another app, you kind of scroll through the feed and see what's there, um, and you kind of just bounce around. Um, but anyway, I mean, uh, I think that's an, an interesting area. Um, but I think, you know, if I look at Pinduoduo's business model, um, you know, the it, I think it comes down to a few different levers, right? So the, the one is they need to keep increasing their users uh, and they need to increase their how much their users are spending. And they've been doing that, like <laughs> growing at ridiculous rates. Um, I think the last quarter, year over year, they doubled their users, their annual active users, and they've doubled their annual active user spend on the platform. And by the way, this company is what, like three years old? <laughs> um, and uh, the other thing is they need to grow their GMV. Their, um, uh, they need to, uh, they have this thing called a take rate or a capture rate, which is how much uh, revenue they're capturing from their GMV. And I think right now it's about 2.5%. I think Alibaba is about three point something percent. So, you know, they are increasing that and catching up there. Um, but the kind of the issue is their sales and marketing the last two quarters has been really, really high. Uh, I think it, for Q3, it was just below 100% of revenue. And Q2 of this year, which leading up to their uh, IPO, was over 100, their sales and marketing was over 100% of revenue. Um, but I think if you if oh, you wow. look at a customer acquisition cost, because they're social e-commerce, I think they have a big big uh, upper hand compared to Ali uh, Taobao, I guess Alibaba and JD. In that you know, if I find a product I want to buy, I go I can go find them users myself, and I don't pay anything for that except the discount I get and maybe a few coupons that. Uh, Pinduoduo gives me. Um, and I think the last lever would be the merchants, uh, the, the people who sell on their platform. They need to make money. You know, if they're not making money, they're not happy with their ROI on the platform. Uh, they won't stick around. So, um, and I think they are making money. They are, they're doing something. They're trying to improve the quality. Uh, we haven't talked about the scandals yet, but maybe we could talk a little bit more about those, but um, they're trying to keep high quality merchants on their platform by giving them discounted uh, commission rates and discounted traffic costs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, speaking of that, and we don't want to keep you for too long, Yuzia, but you mentioned before just a, a little bit and about their their problems with fake goods on their platform. Uh, this is was a scandal right after the IPO'd, and it caused their um, their stock price to, to to fall quite sharply before going back up again. They have have talked about how they're 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 putting in place all these steps to to handle it. But what what I wonder about is that if those those fake how many of those fake goods are actually what is keeping people on the platform that it it, it helps them um, you know they, they they see all these deals that they have all these fake goods that they can get. Um, if they're all, if it's all legit stuff, that maybe they don't get the same kind of high quality deals. So, is there? How should people look at the fake goods problem when it comes to Pinduoduo? Can you explain to us a little bit more about that? Mm, well, I think um, the fake problem, the the the, um, the 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 fake products problem on social like e-commerce platform is. 
actually um, not only limited to Pinduoduo. It's also like very common in the early state in the early stages Taobao when they first started. And when I was writing my article that I visited this village uh, in Zhejiang, and what I noticed that this fake problem is not like Pinduoduo. It's not like what Pinduoduo created, and this um, problems of fake products has been prevalent in China's third and fourth tier cities for a long time. And Pinduoduo just provided this platform to move all of these products online. So, um, well, I think that um, some of the current um, criticism of Pinduoduo is that it's so prevalent with this kind of fake products, but um, it's also been uh, working closely with uh, the um, market regulation department to um, to do, do with these products. For example, it's has been spending a lot of money on on like uh, awarding its vendors who are willing to provide high quality products, and it's been working with the police to. Um, like dispel all of these um, vendors on Pinduoduo's platform who's been uh, like uh, faking those uh, established brands products and is also being like inviting some of the um, uh, established domestic brands like Xiaomi and Guomei to like upgrade the overall quality of um, the, the products. So um, I don't think that it's uh, currently, I think it's one of um, the biggest problems of Pinduoduo, but it's nothing to worry about in the long term. So if are, is Pinduoduo able to keep the kind of the reputation damage from having fake products on their platform limited to those kind of bad merchants, the, the merchants that are putting those products on? Or do are our users kind of looking at Pinduoduo and saying, you know, everything there's not high quality. I'm not going to go on. I mean, clearly that's not a, if their user numbers are believable, <laughs> then um, mm-hmm. there are people still coming out. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, because um, in addition to those counterfeit products, there are also a lot of like, I can say like quality or cost-effective products on Pinduoduo. For example, the best seller on Pinduoduo would be toilet papers and some of the um, uh, toilet papers, baby diapers. And those products are the ones that, um, that the brand actually isn't a big factor in determining the consumer's decision on buying or not. So... Uh, yeah, for this kind of like home appliances and daily commodities, Pinduoduo uh, will be, I, I think, one of the uh, the platforms to 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 purchase from, yeah, and what I, it's really good at. Yeah, I, I can understand with it with a platform, even like like Tmall or with JD, you know, why that the fake goods can be a real problem. I. I don't get why people are so upset about it. To be honest with you, with Pinduoduo, like they're uh, <laughs> like it's a lot of this stuff is 
you know, it's it's it, they're like they're they're selling towards the low end. It's you know, like like you mentioned, toilet paper, diapers, um, and I mean, of course, I think they should clean up the platform. I don't think it's, it's it's a problem that should be ignored, but I don't think it's anywhere near the kind of problem that they would have if 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 it's on that they would have on on Alibaba or or if JD had it. I mean, JD prides themselves on on having being really reliable with their quality, but it seems to me like like Pinduoduo in some ways might even be you know benefited by being able to have some fake goods on there you know <laughs> that that no one go that people don't go to Pinduoduo for the the high quality they go there for the deals you know and for the you know just to 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 get their their basics uh done when it comes to shopping so you know i, I for me i'm personally not that concerned about it but um <laughs> i don't know so uh before we let you go is there anything that you're looking for with Pinduoduo for the next year um you know that you that you'd be paying attention to that that you know would either make you worried about the company or make you feel more optimistic about their future. I will be um, I will be excited to see that how Pinduoduo have been working closely with um, those um, manufacturers or uh, farmers in putting like cheaper agricultural products online because it is what is really good mm. at and. And like from what I know, that Pinduoduo has been launching a series of help the pro programs to uh, work closely with the local farmers and eliminate the cost from uh, those wholesalers or intermediaries by like providing cheaper products online. I think it is what it is good at. Uh, what, what it is good at, and Taobao and JD ha hasn't been doing. Okay, cool. James, do you have anything that you want would like I to guess add? I'll just add. I just looked it up. Um, JD is about value market cap is about twenty seven billion US dollars, and Pinduoduo is twenty four billion. So they're pretty close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much, uh, Shayuji. Thank you for so much for joining uh, for joining oh, us today. Um, and can you tell uh, users if they want to get in touch with you, they want to read your stuff, they want to follow you? Uh, how how do they do that? Uh, well, they can find me on Six Tone or my Twitter, which is uh, Yu Jie Xue Y U J I E X U E T T. Okay, thank okay. you. Awesome. All right, thank you. Okay, thanks for having me. Well, that just about does it for us at the at this episode of the China Tech Investor Podcast. Please remember that you can support the podcast by giving us five stars on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast. If you're Chinese, you can listen to us on Himalaya, or if you like to use Chinese apps to listen to your podcast, you can look at us on, on Himalaya. Um, you can also reach us on Twitter. I'm Elliot Zagman. That's E-L-L-I-O-T-T. -T. And James is what? Uh, J-A-M-E-S-H-U-L-L-X, James Hall X on Twitter. And of course, we are powered by Technode. And if you are interested in China tech, you can go to technode.com slash newsletters. They have a whole series of goodies that they will send right to your inbox. Looking at the entire world of China Tech, everything that you need to know to be savvy when it comes to China Tech, you can get through these wonderful, wonderful newsletters at techno.com slash newsletters. So coming up over the next week, James, uh, we are recording this on November 26th. What are you looking for in the coming, in the coming week? 
Um, the big thing, I think, is going to be the G2 at the G20. Uh, and that's Trump and Xi meeting together. Um, I do think, you know, I, I think previously I might have mentioned that I thought the market was a little bit uh, overexcited um, or expecting something kind of great coming out of this. Um, I think the market's actually expectations have been dampered a bit. Um, part of that's due to, you know, basically media trying to lower everyone's expectations and as well as Kudlow going out there and saying things. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, Trump does consider Mr. Xi Jinping his friend. Uh, so maybe something can happen. Um, so, you know, I think if it, the market, you know, you got to take the expectations into account. Uh, and I might be wrong about that. But, you know, I think if something good does happen, we might see more upside. Uh, and if something bad comes out, we might see slightly less downside but in the short term. But I do think if, if things keep getting worse, it, uh, it gets much worse before it gets better. Um, but yeah, what about you? What are you, what are you? Yeah, I'm also looking at the G20, uh, but from an investor's perspective, looking at these uh, these IPOs, I think a, a lot of these these uh, small cap IPOs, Tencent Music, for example, uh, they have been they have found the waters to be a little too choppy uh, to go in. So I think for a lot of them, what they're seeing is that they're they're they are scheduling their IPOs for early December, right after this meeting, and they're hoping that. Uh, something good comes out of it, and the waters cool down a little bit, and they have uh, they can enter. Um, I, I I tend to agree with you that uh, that a lot of the 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 negative sentiment has already been priced in, so we have the potential for a little more of a of a buoyant market following it. And uh, if we get it, then uh, that's a really good thing for for companies like Tencent Music, for example. Uh, that just about does it for us. So thanks to Yujia, or Shui Yujia, uh, from Sixstone for joining us to talk about Pinduoduo. And thanks, as always, to our producer, John Artman. And we will see you all next time on the China Tech Investor Podcast.